Welcome. My name is Kareem Kanji. Thank you for joining us for episode uh, 28. We are, uh, I think, less than 100 days away from the Olympic Summer Olympic Games in Rio, Brazil. And for this episode, uh, I am in conversation with the senior manager and digital marketing at Team Canada uh, for the Canadian Olympic Committee, uh, Georgia Sapunas. Uh, Georgia is a former elite athlete. Uh, she has won medals and uh, various uh, competitions and participated in various world championships and medal there as well for Canada's national synchronized skating team. Uh, she is also, in my opinion, the brains behind uh, such initiatives as uh, We the Winter, uh, back in uh, Sochi in 2014, uh, and everything that you see and engage with uh, in regards to Canada's Olympic athletes and teams uh, on all of the social media platforms. So we have an amazing conversation uh, about her career in uh, athletics and elite athletics, uh, as well as what is happening uh, with Canada's Olympic Committee as it pertains to their digital and social footprint. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Has anyone ever told you that you've got like the coolest job? Mm. Like how many how many times do you get told a day that oh man you've got the best job? Not uh, you know what I think it comes up with friends because they every, everything has its ups and downs. You tweet and you go to the Olympics. Oh my god! Yeah, people people glorify <laughs> I think anything that they can. Yeah, in anything in life they they see something and it's I mean it's better than selling pillows or. Well, if you um, haven't been told today. <laughs> I will tell you, you've got the coolest job. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that. I know people, people always get really excited about it. And I think that I was as well. And I, I still am. Sometimes I sit back and I'm like, oh, okay, this is this is all right. Yeah. You know, there are, there are worse things to be doing digital digital marketing for. Yeah. yeah there are worse things. Like to be real estate. There. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you, you start you 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 are or were. An athlete. I was. Yeah. Yes, I like how you yes. put it in your LinkedIn. It says elite athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I haven't changed a lot of things since I originally started out on the uh, on LinkedIn. I would um, love to put I that. I kept that one in there. That yeah. is so cool. Yeah. Synchronized. I didn't know synchronized skating was a thing. Is that a thing? A lot of people don't. It's more popular in Europe. Okay. And it has been an official world championship sport since about 2000. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I competed on the national team for eight years for Canada in that sport. Your medals? Not... Did you bring your medals with you? <laughs> I didn't. I actually have a box uh, of medals, your standard, uh, well, larger like than a, a shoe box. Oh, my. Uh, just filling all of them because I skated for 20 years. And so all the medals are just in that box and it's kind of sitting on a shelf. You don't box. have it like displayed at mom's house <laughs> or... or... <laughs> no, they moved too many times. Oh, my um, goodness. But no, so I just in have your one office. Box. No, just 
just I, I actually there's one medal that's pulled out and it sits in my drawer beside my bed. Yeah, because it it looks like it's jewelry. Uh, in terms of the case. Okay, okay, okay. And that's my world ah. medal. And so that's the one medal that gets called out and that gets to sit in my side drawer just in a, yeah. in a box that gets dusty, but a smaller box that gets dusty. That's amazing. I like I'm so like you've got not just the coolest job, but like a cool background as well. But then you Appreciate went in, that. then you went into real estate, which I'm not going to poo-poo real estate because I did I was in the real estate space mm-hmm. for for a bunch of years. Mm-hmm. But tell me, how do you go from actually? Let me let's talk about um, your skating. Okay. Was it you know, mom and dad wanted to keep you busy over the winter, so skating lessons is how it started. I'm guessing. Skating lessons better than drugs is kind of no. I'm, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. No, but it's true. So, I it was my love for the sport actually that pushed it yeah? forward. So my dad is Greek uh, from Greece. Okay. So the, uh, this is relevant because of the warm climate. And mother from Tennessee, again, warm climate from the south. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and how did they end up in Canada, in Toronto? Yeah, so I'm first-gen uh, Canadian. Yeah. They raised us in Kitchener, Ontario. Okay. Basically got married in Tennessee and then moved up uh, for my dad's work to oh. Kitchener. Okay. Mm-hmm. So background there being relevant because neither of them have stepped on ice in their entire life. So there was no encouragement around, you should do this sport or that. It was always try everything and do what you enjoy the most. And you know, whatever appeals you, to you. Right? Yeah. So for my brother, so ironically, both of them from warm climates, we both chose uh, ice and snow sports. My brother snowboarding and myself okay. uh, figure skating. So no, there was no, it was more uh, the parents were do, do what makes you happy and you kind of That's go awesome. through with it. Although I chose the wrong sport. It's way too expensive. The skating? Fun, the fundraising efforts were ridiculous year over year. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because it's not just the skates. Well, skates, ice time, coach time. Ice yeah. time alone, if you're looking at an hour of ice time, is probably about $250. And if you think if... Uh, an hour? Yeah, an hour. Wow. Yeah, in the city at a, at a minimum probably. And then you, it kind of goes up from there. And then the amount that you're training every single week, it's incremental to that. So I can and imagine these medals and... staying at your dad's house saying, Dad, this, <laughs> Mom, this is for you. All, all that money. <laughs> Well, no, no, it was mostly, uh, most of it I, I raised yeah. uh, to be able to do it. Yeah, not a lot. Is, is that a big difference in, now that you've, not now, but I guess you've sort of seen and traveled the world with, with skating and mm-hmm. now with the COC and, and seeing how other sports in other countries are funded, whether it's fundraising by individuals or whether mm-hmm. um, there's massive government support or massive corporate support. Um, what's the difference between Canada and other nations? Yeah, so in terms of every country, the emphasis that they place on sport and the difference that it makes in society as a whole Mm -hmm. is different, and that's where it varies uh, so greatly. Yeah. So if you look at some places where they say uh, sport is such a contributing factor to the whether it be the confidence of young people and their participation in sport and being able to, there's all kinds of things in terms of the value that a, that a kid would get out from playing on a team yep. with other individuals. So in some places that's valued a lot more than others. Others might say actually it'd be more beneficial for them to sit and do math every day. It'd be more beneficial for them to, hmm. you name it. Right. So yeah. I think from a grassroots level, it varies so greatly. 
Yeah. Um, a lot. So our country has challenges to where uh, around the age to where they're coming up to where they're about to. They're not, they haven't quite made the national team, but they're mm-hmm. the, that in between. They're starting to get competitive. That's where the majority of our athletes drop off. Uh, based on the sport gets expensive, and so they okay. can't continue forward, right? So there's that gap there that you see in Canada, yeah. Um, where other countries that have placed more importance on this uh, do have uh, more funding, and then in terms of the sponsors that get behind it as well, there's different value based on what sport it is, how popular it is um, in any given country, right? So the U.S. You see a lot more sponsorship flowing through for, for sport in general mm-hmm. uh, than you do in Canada. But we're actually at the Canadian Olympic Committee. They are trying to uh, shift that as there is a lot of money that's raised that goes through to organizations that then uh, send it through to athletes um, that are medal potentials or, or kind of on the path to having success in that sport. Yeah, so yeah. It's interesting, but huge variation for sure. What was the transition for you from going from I love skating to... Uh, we need to start raising money because I need coaching and I want to get better and I want to win and I want to get these medals. Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I was less than 10. And wow. yeah, really, eh? yeah, I was less than 10. Well, because we we struggled in my family. I didn't come from a, a affluent background. Okay. Uh, so they sat me down and said, we can't do this anymore. You can't do this anymore. Uh, and that's where... I essentially said, I can and I will and I'll find a way um, and kind of took it upon myself to start. So you finding. knew at that young age that this wasn't just I want to go skating or, d- or was that I all did. it was I for did. you? I did. I think when I was five years old, I said to my mom, I'm going to the Olympics. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was that determined from a young age. And then at 16, I made the national team and then ended up competing for eight years on the national team for Canada. Now, my sport, I chose the wrong one because I ended up loving the team aspect of it and going to synchronized skating. It's not an Olympic. It's not. uh, It's the only discipline of figure skating that's not in the Olympics. But you went to world championships. Yeah, I went to several world championships. I have a world bronze medal. I did some things, but not, not the whole shabam. So I think almost... Working for the COC at the end of the day is—it's funny how that yeah. kind of how it ended up as there's uh, that loop closing right yeah, there. Yeah, that loop definitely closed, and you get to experience it in a different forum and give it back uh, through another means, which is through the promotion and stories that we tell about our athletes. You must have been to some amazing places when I competed, or yeah. now? I mean, uh, when you compete, let's talk about your your, your yeah. competition days. Yeah, uh, my favorite was probably Gothenburg, Sweden. Okay. I loved Sweden. Um, Czech Republic I went to before it was a popular place to travel Prague, okay. in Prague. Yes. That was, at the time, I, I might have been underage, but the beers, okay. <laughs> beer, beer and wine was cheaper than buying water uh, wow. at the time of, of going. Yeah, you probably get a beer for about a dollar or so uh, at the time. And it was good? It, fantastic. Well, huh. I, I never had yeah. any of that. <laughs> you know, of course what you are didn't. we talking about? People told you it was good. <laughs> I heard through you the grapevine. Through the grapevine. From older, <laughs> older people. people that were competing <laughs> that it was good. Uh, any, I'm, I'm wondering if there's any stories of, I don't know, the camaraderie or just the weirdest things that happen as you're traveling or anything like that. I remember listening to mm-hmm. Canadian women baseball players talking about playing baseball i want to say it was cuba might be wrong um and a player on the opposing team getting shot at 
Oof, while the game was gosh, going on or okay. being in a hurricane mm. and their bed starting to float and having oh. to like really cool stories that just <laughs> not to put you on the spot but i'm wondering not that you ever got shot at i'm sure <laughs> not that there's skating in places that are going to have hurricanes but i'm wondering if there's any really fun stories of it was crazy while you experienced it but man what an amazing experience that was I feel like with this hurricane piece, I should make something up to make it sound as dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) So in terms of the craziest things that happened, there there were scenarios that were dramatic. For example, uh, heading to the final skate, so the free skate. There's two two programs that you skate at the World Championships. Heading to the final skate and heading to the dressing room after you're done uh, your preparation. Mm-hmm. And when you head to the dressing room, you have 20 minutes until you're effectively on the ice and then competing. Yeah. And somebody forgetting one out of the two of their skates in their bag or like stupid things like that that would happen yeah. that would add such a dramatic flair. Uh, our, our skates would get lost in luggage on the way to competition. So I have heard of You checked your skates. You had to at the oh, time. You? <laughs> now you can carry it on. Yeah. But if you imagine the timing of when we were competing, uh, the laws uh, uh. were much more stringent at the time. And our, our skates did have to be checked because you're effectively having two knives on the bottom of your You're right. Of, your skate. of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. And, and sometimes they would get lost uh, on route to the country we were competing in. And so uh, there was a team who's... Um, their uniforms got lost on the way as well. They just lost everything and they, you know, uh, borrowed from other teams. The The worst, though, that I <laughs> saw, uh, I witnessed, it was actually when Finland was competing in Canada. Okay. In the middle of their short program, uh, you saw one of the skaters bail. And so she hits the ice and it looked like she hit her head. Uh, but then you see this puddle of blood on the ice and then a trail effectively following this skater so at that point they stopped the music and the skater grabs her calf and skates to the side on essentially glides on one foot to the side and the jumbotron zoomed right in on her calf and right when she got off the ice it was zoomed in because you could only at that point see her hand covering her calf yeah when she took her hand away to show what was happening all you saw was a blood print of her hand and then it's bill out of her leg um, because she got cut that badly in her leg and so she actually couldn't even fly back to Finland went with the rest of her team because she was still um, essentially healing and in an air cast after they did the stitches and everything else. Oh my god. So there are things like that that can happen in that moment of the peak of your career at the World Championships that can happen in sport. You see it, right? That's you see crazy. It. You definitely see it in any sport. Yeah, yeah, things yeah. Things like yeah. that happening but yeah, it, not beds floating away in hurricanes, but, no. <laughs> but cer- certainly small dramatic items along the way. Yeah, I did. Um, I did kick a girl once. Obviously not on purpose, but our lines are very tight. Yeah, and so if you are off in terms of your extension, or the person behind you is maybe one inch closer to you than they normally are, you're getting um, cut. Yeah, you're getting cut, and we're you're skating around with their sixteen on the ice at one time, so. <laughs> That's a lot of blades wow. uh, on the bottom of everybody's feet. And you're kind of flying around that way. And yeah. so close in proximity that there there is a lot of things that that happens. So how that many... So I did kick one of the girls in the practice that was hours before we were competing um, at one of our international competitions. And how many people are on a team at, on the ice? On the ice at one time is 16. So that's a huge... I know. <laughs> wow. And 20 at a time uh, per, per team because uh, four alternates as well yeah. to kind of jump For in. Anyone who- Cuts her leg. When they, yeah, when you get your leg. Yeah, yeah. So there were there were a few um, 
uh, dramatic, like 42 stitches. One of our girls got once in, in practice. She fell on top of the back of the blade, so it got impaled. Oh. And then another one who, we do lifts as well on the ice. Okay. Um, so similar to how you would see pairs or um, ice dance, figure mm-hmm. skating. Um, and so the lifts, one girl was up in a lift, she fell. But the other girl, um, the, the skate, the blade of the one girl went across the other girl's forehead. Um, so she, actually, this is a, this is a fun piece. It was back when the Calgary Flames, uh, were, it was, I think it was, must've been game seven okay. uh, of the Stanley cup final. Um, and so funny timing now, uh, but <laughs> and she's from Calgary and it was oh. game seven and her team did not win, but she effectively had a giant C Oh, no. On her forehead. And so she's in the hospital excited and watching her team instead of practicing that night. And so she's actually happy about she it. She was happy that and she now was... has now has a permanent C stitched into oh, her forehead. Oh, my God. So. Um, how was it? Actually, did you also go to school and compete at the same time? Or... I did. Yeah. So university, my five years. Okay. Not four. Uh, Just so that you could skate. Not just that. I did uh, two programs as well. So I got okay. a specialist and, and a major. Essentially kind of like having two degrees, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it did take more courses and more time. Here in Canada, States, Europe? UFT. UFT? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I was competing uh, throughout those years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. When did you stop competing? Or are you still? Oh, goodness, no. Okay. <laughs> I stopped uh, when I was 24. So... I skated for one year, basically. Time to grow up? No, yeah, (laughs) yeah, and basically money ran out. And so Ah. at that point in the sport, too, you know, it was time to make money and and keep money as an adult in terms of my perspective at the time. Yes. Um, But yeah, I couldn't afford to continue doing it as I was effectively paying for it myself. Yeah. Um, And at that point, I needed to focus 100% on my career, is Mm. what was my thinking. Um, to get ahead as, you know, some of my friends, I saw them starting to get into different careers. And as an athlete, you're always starting a bit later because you're spending and concentrating your time on competing instead of actually progressing your career. It's a lot of time that mental energy as well as physical, of course, as a full-time job, your, your skating career. How many Um, hours would you put in a a week, a day? uh, So if you, whatever you do for your normal job, if you're doing, you know, eight hours a day for your regular job, that's a about how much it would take to be skating because you have your uh, off ice. So you have, you know, your training in the gym, whether it's a spin class that day and about an hour of uh, weights. Um, And then you have your off ice training on top of that in terms of going through the program uh, with the rest of the team. So Mm -hmm. there's that. And then whether you're on the ice for, you know, two hours, three hours, um, and then doing uh, various like stretching kind of uh, yoga and things like that. Like a full-time job. And then the, the to and from as well. Yeah, totally. Totally a full-time job. Plus a part-time job to help so, pay for expenses. Well, you have to have a full-time job to pay for because it's that expensive. So it's like two jobs. So you're, yeah, effectively. So it was time to refocus yeah. uh, onto my career mm-hmm. uh, and make money instead of spend money. And at the same time, I recognize that as far as I could go with the sport, aside from winning the world championships, which I would have liked to do um, and didn't happen. Um, outside of that, I, I had done what I could do yeah. in the sport. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like what, 20 years almost. I spent 20 years. Yeah. 20 years. Skating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, how did you get into web? Like your first, I guess, f- proper full-time thing after that was... Working for Aria, 
Ontario so, Real Estate or Yeah, so I was actually, I actually worked at Lululemon Athletica. Okay. And they, essentially the way that they build out their communities is uh, regional. Okay. So that you're doing online and offline driven marketing initiatives with them. Ah. So at the time, it's essentially you're working when Facebook was relatively new in terms of brands getting on it and using it. Okay. Um, and getting people out to events that were kind of local and community driven as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then doing that and, and engaging them okay. through Facebook, through social, through yeah. digital, the, uh, the website as well. So that's kind of where it started in that aspect. Okay. And then on the side, I always had my side hustle for, gosh, I don't know how many years. I think everybody at least starts out with a side hustle or, yeah, yeah. or maintains it throughout. And yours was? Uh, so I was doing consulting on the side. Four brands. So I had uh, a best-selling author that I worked with. I had a sports apparel store. I had a few cool. different brands that I would work with specifically yeah. to build, whether it was their web presence, their social presence, okay. and I'd give them tips on social media, nice. how to be most effective, webinars on that kind of thing. I yeah. started that as my side hustle yeah. um, so that I could, you know, I, I always, I spent so many hours skating while doing everything else that a regular human does in their in their day to day yeah added that on so when skating stopped i had a ton of time on my hands um so yeah i kind of funneled that in to this side project That's neat. Uh, and then from there then went to yeah aria which is real estate and did web design uh to start with them before i moved over to community management on the social side and is that what you studied at university web or yeah so uh uft has a program it's communication okay. culture information technology ah. and they have a joint program with Sheridan College on digital communications. And so okay. that was, I started that program in 03 before there was even a graduate for that program. It was so new at the time, obviously, in terms of what nice. the landscape looked like for, for web and, uh, and comms and digital, right? It was, it was relatively new back then. So that was an effective kind of start. But most of the things I would say that I learned, I it was self-taught. What was it about sort of the community stuff? the community building mm-hmm. that you enjoyed more than building a website? It was, I, I don't say, I wouldn't say that I liked one more than the okay. other. All right. I All liked right. them both and I thought that they went hand in hand. Okay. And I think that's what I've kind of effectively moved forward to. Okay. And then it's been really beneficial to have both the nerdy tech yeah. side along with the marketing side, along with the kind of social and community building side. So all of those go so well together just mm-hmm. to have a, an overarching perspective. How was it building a real estate community? Like, what was that all about? <laughs> so we were starting from the ground up. Okay. It's uh, building the community in Ontario. So there's actually 50,000 realtors in this province. Yeah. And there are a lot only, of them in terms only 50, of... 50,000? I know. <laughs> Seems like everyone has a... That's everyone's side hustle these days is real estate. <laughs> so the demographics was the most challenging part. Okay. As I would say, you're looking at probably the average in terms of age was around 50-ish wow. or some odd. So if you look at the adoption at the time, mm-hmm. so this was what, 2010-ish. Mm-hmm. If you look at the adoption rate of people that were, you know, even 55 plus on Facebook at that particular time, Zero. that was, <laughs> yeah, we weren't quite there yet. We, yeah. didn't get, we didn't get mom and dad on Facebook no. until 
a few years after that, you started hearing everybody say, oh my God, my dad just added me on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, so that was the initial struggle was ensuring that, well, A, that we were on the platforms that the ones that were online that mm-hmm. they cared about the most, as well as educating them on how to be most effective on those channels. So a lot of it was education, tutorial based, um, how to be most effective for them with their clients, what okay. they could do is to build a presence. Okay. Okay. So really educating agents on how to be better. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it was stakeholder relations and looking at, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So within stakeholder relations within the organization, um, within the kind of school, the college, mm-hmm. um, for real estate and then, uh, as well as the board, uh, so that they were all educated and, and brought up on what this could do to benefit their business. Okay. Uh, and there's sure. already, yeah. So there's, um, there's education and, and a really popular college called, or a, a popular course uh, through Inman. Uh, it's a company in the States that would come yeah. and do these big seminars of, you know, this is somebody tweeted about, and this is like so foreign for all the people in the room. Somebody tweeted that they're looking for a house in this particular region. And this is a lead that you are losing. Somebody that's on Twitter that is, you know, searching and finding this is seeing this and then effectively helping that client. Don't you want to be part of this as well? Yeah. So that's a very, very simple basic, example. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very basic. But it started open, opening their eyes to the potential of how they can reach people uh, through digital and where uh, everybody is going, where the world is going. Nice. So um, that was good because there was a lot of autonomy in that role in terms of laying out what... No one knew anything. You were really pioneering it, right? (laughs) Essentially, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So a lot of it, you're just doing research to stay up on what is the most innovative things that people are doing in the space, how can we stay ahead of the curve, uh, grow our community and then educate them on all of these things that they can be doing. So that was unique because it was a role where I could start running with things. So that's where I originally wanted to implement social login. So at the time, if you look back, mm, having yeah. social login and all of our members uh, using that and then having the data points of uh, social login in terms of you know permission based through Facebook, you get all of that demographic rich data. Yeah. Um, that's where I, I looked at that and said, you know, we could have all of them logging in this way. We have a membership already. This would be simple. Yeah. We would have all of this data to then be able to market more effectively. So I was able to explore tools like this. Yeah. I'm not sure if they ever implemented that or not as I, I left and I took off before I, I fully got the chance uh, to move forward with that. But basically dreaming up things like that to start moving forward. Um, was what I was doing there while building my side hustle and then looking at And still at doing gigs on the side. You got it. Nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you go after Aurea? After that, I went to BMO, okay. Bank of Montreal. So I worked mostly at BMO on with their sports uh, sponsorships. So they are okay. the soccer bank. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, also uh, CHL is one of their main okay. properties, or was at the time. Yeah. They signed uh, the Raptors right after I left BMO. Oh, no. Timing <laughs> so is everything. Timing yeah. is everything. Yeah, yeah. So it was really activating the sponsorship? On social. Yeah. You got it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start your, your the, the best job ever. Yes, yes. I actually, you know how Facebook gives you those little memories that say, yeah, yeah. Know, so many years ago, blah, blah, blah. Did you so get that recently? I got that not so recent because I started, I guess it's been three and a half years ago now. Yeah. Uh, but on that date, I did get that post that popped up essentially saying, you know, I'm so thrilled to work here. There's so many, uh, so much growth happening and I, I can't wait to be part of it. Yeah. And a little showcase of the back of the business card, which is this like flashy, fun maple leaf, uh, with a lot of colors. And so I had, um, that was my post then. And that reminder of 
oh yeah, this job is something that is you know fantastic you start getting in the middle of all of the you get in the weeds or in the yeah. middle of it yeah. you start looking at um you know all the things you could still be doing but at the same time if you just step back for a little bit in anything you do in life right mm-hmm. you start to gain some perspective of okay this is this is all right so when you started at coc um what was sort of like is everything geared around every two years there's a winter then there's a summer then there's a winter there's a summer is everything geared around those tentpole events or is there like world championships and the national qualifications and mm-hmm. what what were you focusing on or was it like everything I, I really don't know like what what was what was your day to day like Yeah, so starting a digital team at the very beginning of 2013 mm-hmm. is pretty late in the calendar to have your first digital representative. So you were in charge of actually building this out? That was your... So my boss was the very first person that was hired as the digital director um, at the time. So now he's since moved up within the organization and uh, is the executive director of brand communications, uh, digital and and, um, marketing services. So he oversees a lot now. But at the time, his title was digital director. And I was his first hire. Oh, wow. And so I think kind of effectively the two of us together yeah uh built it to what you see today um i think he would call me his right hand (laughs) (laughs) you're hoping (laughs) no uh i heard him say that yeah maybe to his sister but um so we yeah the this to start and getting it off the ground was crazy because we were exactly one year out until sochi 2014 okay and of course in canada the winter olympics that's our that's the thing uh, that's where we vie for first in the world. Yeah. So Sochi so was your building first. From scratch, yeah. That wasn't too long ago. No. Well, it feels like a lifetime ago, but yeah. it was only about two and a bit years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So being one year out and starting a digital practice. So when I started at the COC, the website would crash almost daily. Yeah. When I was on board. When, you know, first first week, I, I set up the notifications to see. And then we had on our, what was our um, desktop? It was, uh, is the website down for just me or everyone.com or something like that? Yeah. Where we would effectively check. And, and it, it was really held up on, like, with toothpicks is what it felt like. Wow. So that was the website. Uh, in terms of what was going out on Twitter, it wasn't fan-facing. It was essentially political... Uh, things that would go up uh, okay. from other members of the of the larger organization that had the Twitter handle at the time. Oh, uh, okay. And so definitely not effective in any marketing or, or promotion or anything that fans would be interested in in terms of growing a following. So that yeah. was still going out on the channels uh, when I started. So we, we really built fr- in terms of educating the whole organization, looking at what we needed to accomplish, and then built it all out. So it was a race. Um, every day uh, on the road to Sochi to essentially build out what we now have today. So building out to where we have massive social uh, yeah. following platforms, um, our site uh, responsive. Um, at the time, what it looked like on mobile was a nightmare <laughs> when I started. And so, uh, you know, undertaking to rebuild uh, the website, relaunch that, uh, look at, we had even for our Twitter account at the time, we just tweeted in both English and then French back to back and it was translated. So it oh, wasn't yes. even effective for our French community. And then our English community would be annoyed by the, yeah. uh, the French coming out. Cause you don't under, they don't understand that. And so yeah. separating those channels and making the case for that. I, I remember making a deck of 
Uh, why are we getting unlikes on Facebook? <laughs> That's where we started over there. Wow. Yeah. So from there, when I look You'd back. You'd be surprised. That's a deck that some companies <laughs> need to go through. <laughs> yeah, well, at that point, Still. you're educating and you're pitching and you're trying to yeah. do things the right way. And, and, you know, the model was just fans first. It's so simple. It's so obvious. But at the same time, that's not what was happening before we had people that were focused in this space, right? So fans first is is the motto. That's that's essentially what for our department yeah. for digital because we're essentially consumer marketing the consumer touch point for the brand in yeah. Canada, and uh, that was our line that we sold throughout the organization to where you you, you know how when you push something and then yeah. you start to hear other people using you're like yeah, Good, it's it finally <laughs> yeah and so that's what we came up with that other people would start latching onto oh maybe I shouldn't you know pitch the digital team that they do X Y Z for this sponsor because it's not fans first and so interesting it started to catch on a little bit so that's interesting you bring that up what so fans first versus sponsorship opportunities um, you could you could go down that path for sure but fans first versus something that just fans aren't interested in at all it so what's okay anything. so what is that balance then in yeah. terms of our sponsor wants us to do this versus mm-hmm. will this help or not help to increase our our, our, our fan metrics, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Yeah, for sure. So that, you've kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of what continues to be an ongoing uh, pressure point, I would say, to get it right. So we'll only do something and put it out to market if it's mutually beneficial. And if we can find a way mm-hmm. to where it's still completely fans first and we're not impacting uh, the fan experience within the channel. Uh, so you might look at doing something that merges the partner that's beneficial for them. So whether it is that um, you're doing a contest and you're giving away a Molson Canadian beer fridge. Okay. So at this point, it's something that a lot of people would think would be pretty cool. Yeah. That they want uh, in their in their living room in their sure. man cave, um, whatnot as well. So. Of course, this is very beneficial in terms of the media value through to Molson, as all of our fans want this. So we put it out there, and even organically, yeah, um, you know, they, the partner could put paid promotion behind it to reach even more fans. But even just organically, you reach a lot of fans, and that's a lot of impression and value for that brand associated with the Olympics, and then of course having their brand out there. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, what I'm, I'm curious, what Sochi, Sochi happens, or or it's coming around. Mm-hmm. You get to go mm-hmm. to Russia. That must have been amazing to it was go there. Crazy, crazy. Um, what what sort of stuff are are you doing? Anything on the ground? Is your team doing? Are you the team at Sochi? <laughs> I think I would have died if I was the only member of, of the team. So I led the team in Sochi in okay. terms of any of the activations of content that we did on, on the ground. Yeah. So outside of the Olympics, we tell stories uh, about all of the World Championships, World Cups, all of the sports that take place in the Olympics. We tell stories about those athletes and those sports outside of the games. And yeah, up yeah. As well. So we build a following that way and then continuing those stories during games. So. We we had a lot in market during the games. Mm-hmm. I would say probably the most, the thing that we fine-tuned the most was our medal moment execution. So okay. within 60 seconds of a medal being won, yeah. we had social content. We had a dressed-up image yeah. that, had, that was a, a picture of the athlete in their celebratory moment as we had a photographer in each of those places mapped out. 
um, through every day. So a photographer there that would send that image immediately back to the graphic designer that would then add whatever color metal they got or whatever they could get if it wasn't announced yet, if they weren't the last one to uh. compete. Um, and it put all of those over top, the name, uh, the sport, etc. So all of those images dressed up uh, for the, the size that it would fit you know, yeah. for web, for Instagram, for Facebook, cover, etc. You name it. So Where's your send, graphic designer sitting? So our graphic designer was on Sochi Russia time, which was nine hours uh, difference, but they were living their life on that time from Toronto. Okay. So he would then send through uh, all of those assets for yeah. approval, basically a second eye to ensure, you know, the name was right, the sport was right, you're, you're choosing the, the right metal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have, so a researcher that tells us when a medal is actually official. So one of the things that happened, uh, was one of our speed skating, uh, relay teams, they, the, the competition had finished and all of the media outlets went out and said, Canada won bronze. And our researcher said, stop, wait, 60 seconds, give it 60 more seconds. The ref or the, I think they're called referees. I'm not yeah. as technical as she is, so she'd <laughs> kill me for getting it wrong. But they were chatting and she said, wait, 60 seconds. And then uh, the team that won silver was disqualified and therefore uh, Canada effectively won silver. So we were the only outlet yeah. um, that went out with the right. The right one first. The right one. So uh, everybody else had to issue a correction. Actually, Canada won silver. Uh, so the right medal, um, and that was out on every single social platform, including a link back to Olympic.ca um, with a story that had started, so a paragraph, a uh, cover image, and more to come on the story, so that all of our social posts within 60 seconds of a medal being won were blanketed across all of the Team Canada channels with driving back to our website. Who decided on that 60 seconds? <laughs> was that you? <laughs> Well, the thing about being first is then there's certain benefits. So not only are you then seen as kind of reputable people are quick to retweet on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and then people, um, in terms of Google and the way that it reads the algorithm for official yeah. stories, if you're first, that'll come up sooner when people are searching. Yeah. So in terms of driving more social so that was you. Through and web traffic through. Can't take credit for everything. Um, but having all of that calculated and being first in the process yeah. made a massive difference for our results. Did people um, hate you for a while? So six, 60 <laughs> seconds. It was actually, there was, I was sick for one of the days of the games. It was the worst thing that could have ever happened. I wasn't sick for the whole year leading up to it, but I was sick. And uh, yeah, and my boss sent an email basically being like, that was more than 60 seconds. This is not okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, he's fantastic. Um, but uh, that was that one point that, that people remember of, okay, yeah. we've got we've to get this right. And we did. We fine-tuned. Um, we did it for the duration of the games, and our results were ridiculous in terms of, uh, and I'll share one of them. Hopefully, you don't have too many American friends listening to your podcast. Only Americans listen to this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, in that case, we're punching way above our weight, is yeah. how I will put it, uh, as if you just measured us head-to-head with the uh, Team USA yeah. and their social channels, yeah. uh, who I have to mention, they're 10 times our size and population, yeah. are, we had more engagement during the, the Olympics than, than they did. I read somewhere channels. that you had more engagement outside of, uh, of the official hashtag or something like that? Yeah, so We Are Winter. Was our, yes, 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 yes. was our hashtag during the Sochi 2014 games. And it was actually the most used hashtag globally outside of hashtag Sochi 2014. Sochi. We Are Winter. Was that 
in partnership with Twitter? I'm trying to remember we back. We did. So we did uh, create a partnership with Twitter. It was the first of its kind for yeah. Twitter. Um, and we had a relationship there where they gave us uh, value. It was value in kind, essentially. They gave us paid media promotion to put behind yeah. our content on Twitter. Um, our metal moments specifically were the main thing that we boosted. And uh, then in terms of the deal of the value then for them was uh, we have that access on the ground to, you know, the premium photography, everything else that they could then utilize and sell uh, through to our partners. So we kind of laid out a matrix for them yeah. and gave them access to exclusive content that they could then utilize to um, gain revenue. So at the end of the day, the value for them, the value that was given for us, yeah. and then the showcase of um, that at the time, so 2014, everybody comes to Twitter in the moment yeah. for these live sporting events. Yeah. That's kind of the first thing, the go-to. And then it, it showcased them even more so that all of our content was kind of blanketed across. That was, I remember that hashtag and that, ha- that, mm. that was it. We are, when that was, people use that. And it, I think it transcended the Olympics, mm-hmm. you it know, did. to it mean did. Canada, you know, we are winter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, somebody sent me an email and it was the winter after that winter. Yeah. And they sent me an email and, and it was essentially a snapshot of uh, analytics for that particular hashtag and the most recent time that it was used. And when they sent it through, it said one minute ago was the most recent time that yeah. a fan or a person in Canada used, used that. We are winter. So that, that was, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's almost see. like this was, you know, before uh, we, the North, mm-hmm. you it know, it was actually, actually we were in the, sitting in a meeting with Twitter yeah. and they said that they were sitting there with uh, the team from the Raptors and they were discussing what should that hashtag be, what should that tagline and that phrase yeah. be, and they hadn't quite landed on, on We the North yet. Yeah. And they said, you know, uh, the Canadian Olympic Committee, they used We Are Winter, so instead of, I forget what they were going to go with, Yeah. but instead of that, why don't you kick it off with the We, Yeah. and then We the North, because it's essentially representing that same thing, where We yeah. the Winter, We the North, it, it's showcasing the what we bring to the table through the harshness of our climate and stand out from everything else that you see um, in North America. Yeah. Everybody else. So I would like to take credit for We the North, but I can't take credit for that to you. Take it. Take it. Own it. <laughs> Own the podium. Um, we the North, which we see blanketed across our entire city after the Raptors just killed it this year. Yeah. yeah I cannot take credit for that. Yeah. But we, in terms of the conversation of what we represent as Canadians, I think that at the time, um, as right after We Are Winter, right on the tail end of that, yeah. uh, the Raptors were, were doing so well. For and sure. this campaign did go into market, We the North. And I think that it was it, they, were, they were hand in hand in terms of Canadians really standing up and saying, you know, we're here to compete and we're here to win, not just, uh, you know, we're here to play, which is, I think, what we always did in the past. Yeah. Um, how do you guys take advantage of the whole um, own the podium sort of vibe? So for the Winter Olympics, we do vie for to be number one yeah, yeah. in the world. And I think that before Vancouver, mm-hmm. the kind of pride in our country and our athletes and what they were going to do. Yeah. I think a lot of the time our athletes were going to be at the Olympic Games, to compete in the Olympic Games, but not necessarily to win yeah. at the Olympic Games. So having the Vancouver 2010 Olympics 
uh, be chosen for Canada, having them come to Canada, mm -hmm. that I think shifted the direction of how we as Canadians view ourselves as competitors in the larger uh, sports market. So I think for the first time we were saying we can effectively go compete and win. And we did that in Vancouver. And it's still the record of the most golds ever in the country right. has ever received. Yeah, as a home um, nation. That's right. Mm -hmm, as a home nation. And so then the one thing, too, as well, in terms of how we moved forward to Sochi 2014 mm -hmm. um, as a brand of our the, the valuation of what we raise year over year in terms of um, sponsorship dollars, yeah. as well as the number of medals for the first time and the first country did not decline uh, after they hosted the Olympic Games. So we're actually able to carry that forward through nice. uh, to Sochi and Canadians kind of backing our athletes. And I think that's where that powerful We Are Winter really represented of saying, no, like, we're not here to play, we're here to win. Yeah. And the, you know, not getting cocky, but basically standing shoulder to shoulder with our American rivals mm -hmm. um, and saying... This is our this is our nation. Yeah. This is our season. This is what we're made of, and we're here to win. And that's it. Was the um, the Paralympics that were here mm -hmm. in Toronto? Was that is that part of your suite of events? The are you talking about the Pan Am Games that were Pan Am Games, in yeah. Toronto last yeah. summer, yeah, twenty fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. So our organization is responsible for sending the team to okay. every Pan American game. So okay. that is definitely part of the roster. Okay. Uh, but for the first time, because we were the host nation, for mm -hmm. the first time, uh, we essentially uh, utilized everything that we have from a marketing perspective to activate those games, to tell those athlete stories, okay. and to be on the ground activating, similar to how we would at an Olympic Games. Wow. And how, how was that event in comparison for you versus Sochi? Oh, well, because that must have been the next big event after Sochi, wasn't it? Definitely, definitely. So we had everything in place that we would have at the Olympic Games. Yeah. Uh, but we had more feet on the ground, so to speak, more people on our team that were yeah. here. So instead of right now, we have, I believe it's 11 interns in total that are working with us uh, to kind of head through. And they've got the best internships ever. They are pretty great. Internships. Tell them. So if you do teach at George Brown yeah. or anywhere else, I'm saying that because of cream uh, here. But if you do teach, it is uh, an internship program that we've built year over year and, and that I think uh, bring a lot to the table for, for the uh, students to be able to actually have things that they can point at that they've done and been a part of. So, yeah, so um, our interns don't, of course, get to go to Rio with us. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll be here. But during the Pan Am Games, uh, they were, they had the media accreditation. They were right there with us, and they were covering sports, actually. Uh, one of our interns at the time, who now is um, a coordinator on our team, Yeah. Uh, she, I still remember. Uh, so um, our content lead sent her to the mountain biking event. Okay. And so I, it might've been her first time experiencing mountain biking. Uh, and she was activating primarily on Snapchat, uh, during the okay. games. Okay. All right. And so she was trying to build the snap story from the mountain bike venue that day. So she came back. It was hilarious. So first of all, she had to be on a bus at something like four or 5 AM to get there, um, for, the morning to ensure that she was there and connected and everything else. She had connectivity issues and I think it was up in Barrie. Um, she said she was walking through 
um, kind of the the course to find the right spot to get yeah. a good you know a good snap from. And she was like climbing over a little sign that said uh, "Beware of poison ivy." No, <laughs> things like that. So she she was essentially trying to to uh, get around poison ivy, get to a good place in the course where she get could get the best snap story possible. So she really went through all kinds of interesting scenarios with us, um, but is fantastic. We actually. Um, on TV, when Andre de Grasse uh, won the 100 meter, mm-hmm. uh, you could see her on TV effectively chasing him to get the best snap and snap story. Um, so we, you could see her on TV because anybody that was near Andre de Grasse was on TV. So we saw our two interns kind of chasing near him to get a good picture and a good uh, snap That's amazing. for the story. So definitely a good internship. But that was one of the things that differed for the Pan Am Games is that we had more, more bodies, people yeah. on our team to be able to fulfill the different needs that we have to cover everything. So uh, in terms of the amount of uh, medals that we won, 200 plus. Yeah. So it was definitely a lot to cover, but the the could you get them all out in sixty seconds? <laughs> we had a different strategy for okay. the games. <laughs> oh, definitely a different strategy, but we did actually. I think a lot of people underestimated how uh, how many Canadians would pay attention to the Paramount. Pan American Games. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was hugely underestimated um, by everyone and media included who didn't kind of put the resources uh, towards the coverage of the sports uh, based on what the demand actually was. So the demand was actually quite high in terms of people looking for the content. Okay. So that was something that was definitely valuable that we brought to the table um, because people were essentially saying, you know, thanks so much for this content. I've been trying to to find where I can watch, um, you know. A, a different uh, a sport that might not be covered live in terms of results and whatnot. Uh-huh. And it might be their family, might be their friends, might be people that are interested in that sport or play that sport around the country. Um, but they were able to kind of get those updates through our channels uh, during that time. So You mentioned Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Back when you started, seemed, talking like it's years ago, you know. Um, <laughs> Back you know, in face- my day, <laughs> we did. <laughs> With Facebook and, and Twitter being the main ones. Um, how has that changed now? You've you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, you've got Instagram, you've got Snapchat, you've got YouTube. Mm-hmm. Tell me, where, like, where, what platforms are you guys on? How do you decide what to do with each one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, Snapchat. Before I get into the specifics of looking at the broad uh, channel makeup, but Snapchat, something really interesting recently has happened to where. Uh, NBC, which is the broadcaster of the Olympics in the United States, yeah, they did a deal with Snapchat and the International Olympic Committee. Uh-huh. Uh, and essentially, for the first time, there's a disruption here of where the live in-venue videos, where they're living. So right now, uh, they're living only in broadcast in any nation. There's a lot of money that goes into a broadcaster having access to showcase the Olympic Games uh, premium sporting event, the Summer Olympics. So Snapchat has agreed not to... So, no, actually, so, yeah, so the Summer Olympics being the largest uh, sporting event in the world. Now, Snapchat in the United States, they're going to have live stories daily. Now, it's gated for the u.s okay. a live stories daily yeah and uh, if you're on snapchat you know you can contribute to a live story yeah. if you're at that event yeah, yeah um and uh that that footage that you see in terms of we call it the field of play footage yeah. at the olympic games that footage will also be within the live story daily on snapchat okay so no other platform nobody else has any access to this no 
uh, no other media no outlet. No Facebook Live. No Facebook Live. Periscope. Nobody, no Periscope. Nobody else has access to field of play video. Yeah. Um, but now Snapchat is going to have that on their platform as a just essentially another distribution and a way to reach especially young millennials. I heard a stat recently where they spend about 20 to 30 minutes daily um, wow. consuming on Snapchat. So in terms of that as a platform, uh, definitely... Uh, Does Snapchat explain yeah. how they're going to ensure that outside of the official live story that there's going to be no, like no other person is going to be able to, they can't really, can they? Well, that's the thing is that you can at this point in terms yeah. of like, in terms of, so there's a, there's a few, it's an interesting topic in the way that you've laid it out. But, like if I were to go but, to Rio and snap the hundred meters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ha- so the the question there is, who is policing that? Yeah. To be able to find that. Yeah. And I think it's uh, an increasing issue for the IOC. Yeah. To really crack down on, you know, this happening. Hmm. So I, uh, in terms of my my perspective, I see you know as. Uh, as all of the platforms are evolving and as you're continuing to, to move forward in a, in an innovative way yeah. and the world is changing. And so models need to kind of change along with that. Uh, so a lot of, we see it all over the place, but the, especially the Olympics, it's a very traditional model that they've laid out with broadcasting. And so uh, you can effectively see how Snapchat is, is kind of stepping into that as a, as a disruption in that, in that space. Cause there's nothing to stop somebody from, periscoping in the stands as well the rule is there that you can't so the coc won't no so we yeah so in terms of anything that we do live it will be outside of an olympic venue so we have our canon olympic house as one of the main places that they'll take place that the athletes come through yeah uh and so uh most definitely we will have facebook live um 360 video on facebook as well as periscope um taking place uh but not in an actual venue are you guys hiring anyone (laughs) <laughs> I want to. I want to come and join. We are actually. <laughs> we'll talk about it after we finish. Um, yeah. So we were going to talk about the different channels mm-hmm. and, and how that's evolved and, right. and what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So Facebook is still king. Facebook, yeah. Facebook uh, wins um, over everything else in terms of several things. Is it because of reach? Is it? Is that? Like the main, they just reach the most people, hands down. Uh, yeah, uh there's more than that. So okay. for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, but so a lot of things. So one of them, um, that you saw within the last, I would say, year and a half. Mm-hmm. I remember in Sochi sitting down with a couple of people from Facebook and them saying, "We are going to be the platform where the most video is consumed." Yeah. And I think at the time you look at YouTube and you kind of laugh at them a little bit. Yeah. Um. But you look at it today and you look at the amount of reach that you see in videos uh, for brands that are seeing where can they effectively get the most reach of their videos. The the difference between YouTube and Facebook is the way that Facebook has their algorithm, um, everything is discoverable instead of needing to go to a destination to find something, which is the way that... Yeah, the way that the world is is kind of going in terms of discoverability, right? Yeah, Of of consuming, making it really easy. So, um, So that's, I mean... That's just one example with video. But if you're looking overarching, so Facebook uh, targeting, how you target people. So one of the things that mm. we were able to do during the Pan Am Games is uh, what's your least favorite sport? Mine? Yes. I don't know if I have a least favorite. Dancing? Is that, is that an Olympic, Olympic sport? What about your favorite? That's a ne- maybe a niche sport. Let's say wrestling. Wrestling. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you love wrestling. Mm-hmm. So let's say your brother. Do you have a brother? Yeah. 
What's his name? Anise. Anise. So Anise hates wrestling. Yes. Okay. So we want to reach you with a wrestling content, but not Anise. Yeah. Uh, Facebook, just ahead of the Pan Am Games, uh, launched um, specific targeting. So we could do sport-specific targeting. Yeah. So that a post that we might do on a sport, let's say, like wrestling, mm-hmm. uh, if we do a sport and, and um, we put that post up, uh, our general audience they might not all want to see the stories about wrestling. They might okay. be more interested in another sport like soccer. Yeah. Uh, and they don't care at all for wrestling. Yeah. Um, so we would target that and then effectively reach way more people because everybody in the wrestling community would see this and then they would get excited as well to and share this is it. Paid? To their no, this is actually organic. So it was for the first time and the only platform at the time where you could do this type target of targeting organically. Organically. Is this available for everyone? So this is available to brand pages. Special people. <laughs> yeah. Aliens. Yeah. This is available to brand pages. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's available to individuals or not, as I'm not kind of... I know you can do... I, I, I know there's geotargeting available on, on that, but mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. So you can... So essentially, we've been able to do that now. So of course, you can do, yeah, uh, location targeting, yeah, yeah, all yeah. kinds of different targeting, yeah. but it was never interest-specific. Interest. So this interest-specific targeting was a huge win for us during the Pan Am Games because now we said, great, we can create content about every single sport including those that aren't actually Olympic sports but are Pan-American game sports, yeah, like, yeah. like um, roller skating. Yeah. It's like uh, figure skating but on, on roller skates. All right. um, so we could even create content on roller skating and put it on our channel and target uh, roller skating fans. And it would actually reach, instead of something that you know not a lot of people might like in our general fan base, mm-hmm. it would reach that core niche amount, but then they would share it with their friends that were also part of that sport yeah. and share it with their friends, share it with their friends. So we'd end up having these posts about these sports that have uh, you know a niche following, uh, but they would get this huge Massive reach. engagement. Yeah, reach, because yeah. it was reaching the right people. So with Facebook, it's kind of the segmentation and the audience that you can reach. The total audience, kind of the algorithm with the news feed of discoverability, yeah. um, the place where videos get the most reach and views. Amazing, isn't um, it? It's, it's massive. Though, and then if you are doing paid promotion, yeah. um, the amount of segmentation and targeting that you can get through Facebook as well. So Facebook, hands down. Uh, also, in terms of driving through to our website, mm-hmm. um, a lot of brands have to pay to reach people these days. But if you're seen as a publisher... They'll reach people organically, so you're creating that content that's interesting. And you guys um, are seen as a publisher? So, yeah, we're seen as a publisher. A lot of sports brands are, if okay. they're doing content right, if they're doing it fans first. Okay, interesting. Um, All right. And so then you are able to reach a lot of people organically. And so it is the largest driver of traffic back to mm-hmm. uh, Olympic.ca, our website. So a lot, of, a lot of huge wins on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, Twitter. So Twitter um, as well was a sponsor or um, a partner with us in uh, Sochi. Yeah. And they'll, they're a, a partner with us uh, for Rio as well. Uh, so there's a lot of great things that we're doing with Can them. Can I guess that they're giving you more now? <laughs> and than, you're giving them less. Than before? Yeah. Well, I don't want to lay it out uh, that it way. Seems, I'll, I'll put it out there. It seems to me that they are in – I mean I teach Twitter marketing at George Brown just down the street. And it's my personal favorite tool. Oh, to use. Okay. okay. Just personally to use, you know, I, um, although I'll, I'll use Instagram as just as much, if not more. And I'll, mm-hmm. you know, and Facebook just as much as Twitter, but I, okay. I just love Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, that sounds old, but, <laughs> but, um, um, so I, I, they seem to be going through a, a challenge in terms of, do they know who they are and what they want to be for people? Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. 
I have I to know. agree. I do have to agree completely. They are trying a lot right now. Yeah. Um, and they're so there's a few things that they do very effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, if there's a live event, so something happening live. So as you're seeing in broadcast, uh, in terms of the broadcast deals and where the value is still, mm-hmm. it's in it's in live events, whether it's entertainment or sports. Yep. Yep. Usually primarily in sports. Yep. So I think that it's the same for Twitter in terms of what they bring to the table be when something is happening live. Um, you know, when last night, uh, when Golden State won. Yeah, uh, in Game Seven, they're now heading heading forward to the finals. The very first app I open to talk about it and to say like that I'm very excited for Golden State. First app that I open is Twitter, so it's that live uh, in the moment. Yeah, that's where that's where their bread and butter is. Yeah, um, and they they actually there were stats around how the engagement of um, on instant replay. Uh, video on Twitter mm. effectively does drive back to broadcast because people get excited seeing it within that app. Yeah. And then they want to uh, view it as well to be part of the conversation, to be able to see it all as well. So it actually does drive eyeballs yeah. back to broadcast. And they've cool. done the research to showcase that as well. So I think in terms of their strength, yeah. um, that's where it lives in, in life. Um, there's a lot of, uh, of areas and different things that they're trying as well. So Periscope, um, we mm-hmm. saw, uh, I think... What did it come out uh, a week after Meerkat? Does even anybody That's even right. remember That's right. Meerkat as yeah. a no as a, as a thing? So I think the second that Twitter came out and then had a distribution model for these live videos yeah. uh, through Twitter, of course, um, then there goes Meerkat, who was first but maybe didn't have the distribution model. No, you're right. Um, Instagram. So it's so Instagram is one of my favorites yeah. personally. Uh, I actually. I always of, see you at Jay's games on Instagram. <laughs> she's at another Jay's game. I think everybody in my life, if I haven't seen them in years, yeah. but we're still Facebook friends. Let's say like a, you know, an old friend from high school or skating or something. Yeah. They're like, you go to a lot of Jay's you games. You do. <laughs> I do. I've had flex facts for a lot of years. Nice. I've been a, I've been a, a fan for the whole journey. Yeah, I did yeah. play baseball when I was young as well, um, before I chose to just do skating, but. Um, yes, I love Instagram, uh, in terms of, so when it was fresh, it was interesting because selling it through of say, uh, I think some of the stuff that I talked about was how, uh, how much faster you can visual content is read and consumed. Yes. Right. So yes. if you think of, if you think of Snapchat and how it functions, yeah. that visual content. Yeah. Um, so same thing with Instagram at, at the time, everybody yeah. was like visual content, visual content. I think this was maybe 2012. Um, and it was like, oh my God, visual content. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Instagram has been effectively doing that for a while. They just changed to uh, having the algorithm like Facebook. Yeah. I think that they're uh, proving really huge results in terms of when you are doing paid promotion on Instagram in terms of driving through to web yeah. of how effective it is. Yeah. Um, and then having that extension to Facebook in terms of the segmentation and, and demographics is pretty impressive as well. For sure. Um, but there's still a lot of time spent on Instagram. And it's definitely, in terms of the platforms that we're focused on to grow our audience, yeah. uh, as uh, as much as we can, mm-hmm. two of those platforms are Instagram and Snapchat. Instagram, Snapchat, both. Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. Periscope. Mm-hmm. Where else are you a guys? Uh, so Pinterest is an interesting one. Pinterest. It doesn't come up that often. But one of the things that's interesting about Pinterest... Athletes <laughs> recipes? Is that in the... The layout, people are going to Pinterest when they already have an interest in buying something. Yeah. Oh. Right? So let's say you want to decorate your living room. Yeah, yeah. And you want inspiration. Yeah. So you're going to Pinterest to kind of 
lay out how, you know, what couches you're, mm-hmm. um, would look good in that space or colors or you're getting that inspiration. You're putting a bunch of stuff yeah. and then you are going to find those things in real life. Well, Pinterest is kind of bridging that gap to where, um, you could essentially have the buy button and then purchase straight from Pinterest. Yeah. So it's an interesting platform in terms of they're sitting on something that's kind of almost natively and at its core, an ad, but it's something that you want to go and and see and find. So it's an interesting platform in that perspective. We did start an account, um, I think before the Pan Am games, Mm -hmm. as I think uh, it could be essentially if this platform continues down this path, it could be interesting in that, in that fashion. Like your online store. Mm -hmm. But right now we're not, uh, in terms of resource, we're, we're placing our, our resource on, on some of these other channels to, to grow them. Um, and, and Pinterest is, is still sitting there and our eyes are, are still kind of open about the potential, uh, but we're just not focusing resources on it right now. So you're, you're, when your boss says to you or wants a report from you, um, what sort of, what sort of granular or, or broad, what sort of broad data are you giving him? Are you giving him things like fan growth, fan engagement, that sort of stuff? Or does it also include uh, clicks to website, uh, percentage of website traffic? So all of that. But yeah. what I'm actually working on and what I was looking at today ah. specifically um, was uh, putting a value to all of that, a dollar value. Okay, good. So there's um, there's a startup, and, and there might be more than one, but there's one that we're looking at now, uh, that essentially what they're doing is they're taking the average cost per engagement on a platform like Facebook. Okay. So what does the average brand play, pay for every engagement on that platform? Mm-hmm. So they're taking that as the as the measurement. Okay. Um, and they're doing that across every single social channel. Okay. And then from there, um, they are inputting into their database the brands uh, as well as the athletes and the sports that are involved in that. Okay. And then what they do is they value the engagement for each of the brands that are involved mm-hmm. in all of the athletes and the team's posts. Uh, so they, they do that through two things. So one of them is through um, in the copy, if there's a brand mention okay. um, or the brand's hashtag um, and the quality of that. Mm-hmm. And then as well, they do it through image recognition uh, okay. software to then see if that brand's logo was showcased within the image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then they value out, you know, was it a prominent logo within the image or whatever else? So the sure. quality of it is then um, yeah. placed. And then automatically they can showcase the total dollar value mm-hmm. uh, in terms of media value to the brand that had the, you know, the logo in the image or whatever it was. Okay, sure. They can effectively say this is how much yeah. that one post from that brand or that athlete is worth. Okay. And they can actually then do uh, aggregate it. So put all of our athletes in there, put us in there put um each of our the brands that sponsor us and all of the sports as well put it all in yeah and then lay out a grid to say um every single brand how much value in terms of media value on social media was created for that particular brand in terms of uh the engagement. that's really really cool that. what's the name of the startup can you say <laughs> yeah the the startup they're, they're called hook it hook it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. toronto uh no they are based out of california hook it Surprise. that sounds cool yeah, it does. So uh, that's the latest that I've happened upon. Yeah. Um, but there's always things like that that spring up where uh, there's kind of a gap in terms of what you're trying to do. And I think what we try to do in the space a lot is to there's a gap in actually showcasing the value of what we're doing, yeah. the true value of it. Uh, so being able to put that dollar value on it based on and it is 
you know, market rate for engagement, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's showcasing that from a dollar a dollar value. So when you put that in front of, you know, your marketing partnerships team or your sponsorship team or your specific sponsors, yeah. you, you actually have a dollar value associated to um, this thing that some people still call social media new. So, <laughs> so you're actually putting the value behind it. So in terms of, in terms of reports, um, there's all, all of, all of what you mentioned, yeah. we lay all of that Plus out. More. Um, but we're always trying to look at, um, what's next to, to kind of push us forward. Nice. Mm-hmm. What can we look forward to in Rio? My goodness, a lot. Yeah. So, 60 to, seconds. Are I, we doing 60 seconds again? I don't want to. I don't want to go down to 45. Much. Well, we've evolved. We've, we've evolved. evolved. So, 60 seconds may be a thing, but we're doing so much more. Uh, I don't want to give any of it away, but one of the things that I will note is in terms of the the location that these games are taking place. Yes. Rio is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. Um, so we've scoped out certain spots throughout uh, the city uh, that we can create content in. Uh, with an athlete after they've won their medal. So aside from everything that you see uh, on the field of play, yeah. the exciting moments that we have uh, ahead and in store for us, uh, the content that I think you'll you'll see as a um, throughout in terms of consuming the consuming the games through our platforms, yeah. uh, but also beyond as well. So as a as a sneak peek, we do have one new thing that's coming out, which is uh, our Peach. Team, our Team Canada. Oh. So Team Canada app. Yeah, and I've so seen the, that somewhere. The biggest. Yeah. Uh, well, we haven't talked about it yet. So, okay, maybe something um, else. Yeah, so maybe something else. But uh, one of the biggest pieces within it will be our our club. So our fan club is the Olympic Club. Okay. Um, and there'll be in terms of what you can win, uh, there will be a lot. Uh, it'll be near daily in terms of uh, great contests uh, nice. and, and kind of. Items that you can win during games associated with, you know, possibly every medal that we win. Yeah. Um, and uh, the content will just be incredible. Is it still going to happen in, in Rio? Yes. There's talk that no, Zika is going to... Yeah, I think the media is really blown out Zika. If you look at it, it's taking... The, with the Rio Olympics are taking place in the winter in Rio. If you look okay. at people that have actually contracted Zika, and of course I'm not an official spokesperson on this piece and I'm not a doctor, no. but just if you look at the stats, the people that have actually contracted Zika, I think 90% of the the, uh, the people that have actually contracted it in Brazil did not contract it, uh, con- like get the disease in Rio. It was actually in uh, northern Brazil is where the majority of the cases have actually taken place. In the winter, there's not that many uh, mosquitoes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to Rio already and I came back and I was completely fine yeah um i'm and in terms of the the people that it does affect um the one recommendation if you look at kind of even the government's official website it's saying don't go if you're pregnant yes that's and then, a big thing. and then wait six months after you come back from the games if you're attempting to get pregnant and so i think that in terms of of, of that being the worry um, yeah. i i'm not worried at all that's awesome i'm yeah. looking forward to it Who's your? I've I've held held you hostage now for too long, but um, you must come across all these athletes all the time, um, and I don't know you being a former uh, elite athlete, if you get starstruck at all or, or or not. But who's your favorite? Not your favorite athlete because you like that sport or anything, but your favorite athlete in terms of the engagement that you've had with her or him. Yeah, that's a that's a tough question. I don't know who I would choose right off the top of my head. Um, so there's a guy that you that you likely heard of, 
um, from Sochi 2014. Mm-hmm. I call him Canadian Happy Gilmore because that's his uh, his Twitter handle. So his name's Gilmore Junio, uh, and he's a speed skater. Okay. And in Sochi, he actually stepped aside from competing in his final race. Yes, yes, to yes. Let I Benny remember Morrison that story. Compete, yeah. Who then effectively won silver for Canada. Yeah. So uh, Gilmore and I, uh, before the Sochi Games, uh, we connected and we did a, a day in the life of Gilmore Junior. So we did a day in the life of him and showcased it on our website. And so he essentially did uh, posts throughout the day, whether it was like stop motion or vines. Vine was, uh, I think, new at the time back yeah. in 2013. Um, and did, you know, vines and, and photos. And it was just so funny. I thought he was such like such an engaging, like great personality. Yeah. Um, and then to see what he did in Sochi and for all of that to get uh, kind of really blown out and emphasized in the media. Um, I think he's a fantastic athlete. Uh, there's a lot of potential ahead of him, and he's been competing very well in his sport. Mm-hmm. And so you uh, may see him in the road to, to Pyeongchang, which is our 2018 Olympics, uh, Winter Olympics in South Korea. Uh, but he's just such a great personality. And so he's definitely one of my favorites from, from that aspect. Awesome. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me. I I really appreciate it. it. Yeah.